0: The opinions expressed on the ACB Media Network are those of the respective program contributors and cannot be assumed to serve as endorsements of products or views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials or its staff.
1: All right, this is uh, Travis, your host, to give out the continuing education code for the beginning of the meeting. I will have another one for the end of the meeting. The beginning code, I will repeat twice. That is, the number is, is, it is a five-digit code. It is 25156. Give you a moment, and I will repeat that one more time. 25156. over to you, Tom.
0: Thank you, Travis. Um, good morning, everybody. Um, welcome to uh, our first program for ACB DiveX and Action Summer Convention Program. We are delighted that you are all here. We are on Zoom. We are streaming over ACB Media. So we are getting, oh, and Clubhouse too, right, Herbie? Yes. So we're doing Clubhouse as well. So we're getting a broad uh, exposure here this morning. Um My name is Tom Tobin. I'm the president of ACB Diabetics in Action. And I will also be serving as your facilitator this morning with uh, help from Travis, our host, and uh, Herbie, our streamer. Uh, So we're delighted to have everybody here. Um, I'm really excited about this programming this morning, guys. Um, I I think you're in for a real treat. Um, We have um, have three endocrinology presenters today. Um, And for any of you who were with us last summer, these names will be familiar to you because uh, Diana and Beth and Natalie. Uh, Diane and Beth are from the Cleveland Clinic and Natalie is from University Hospitals, uh, two premier hospitals, not only here in the Northeast Ohio area, but around the country, uh, very well-respected uh, medical institutions. So we're delighted to have them here. So they'll be talking this morning, as you saw in the m- announcement materials, all things diabetes-related, uh, type 1, type 2, and any other topics they may wish to um to discuss um, at their leisure. And we will leave, I know they will leave plenty of time for Q and A, so um, get your questions ready and I'm sure they'll be happy to help you out. Um, So I guess having done the brief introductions, without further ado, I am going to turn the program over to Diana Isaacs from the Cleveland Clinic. So Diana, the floor is yours. Great. Well, thank you so much. So
2: I'm here with Natalie Bellini. Um, We're both together in person. I'm Diana. This is Natalie. And then um, we've got Beth, who's in Cleveland. Natalie and I are actually presenting to you from San Diego today, gearing up for American Diabetes Association scientific sessions. So we're really excited to be presenting. We plan to talk for maybe close-ish to an hour and then uh, have about 15 to 20 minutes for questions. And so um, this is basically the outline that we plan to go through today. We are gonna start off with a drug Update, And that's what Beth is really going to go through. And then we are going to be talking about all things technology. I'm going to talk about continuous glucose monitor updates, as well as connected insulin pens. And then Natalie is going to come in and talk about Updates with insulin pumps and automated insulin delivery systems. And then we hope to have a nice panel discussion. So please uh, hope you've got lots of questions and comments. We would love to hear from you. There's been so many updates in the diabetes space in the last year since we talked to you last. So we're really grateful for the opportunity to present to you again. And with that, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to turn it over to Beth, who's going to go ahead and get us started today.
3: Thank you, Diana. All right, so I'm going to kick off the presentation with the drug section. So I want to start with this question for you. All. Has the magic wand for type 2 diabetes and weight loss been discovered? I'll let you decide. In the past year, sales of Ozempic, Trulicity, and Mount Jaro have skyrocketed, and mostly for good reasons. These once-weekly medications are effective for both blood sugar lowering and weight loss. You might've heard commercials, media news stories, or even TikTok videos about these so-called celebrity drugs, but they aren't just for celebrities. So let's take a closer look at the powerful effects that these medications can have on people with type two diabetes. Next slide. These medications belong to a class of drugs called GLP-1 agonists or glucagon-like peptide one agonists. But from here on out, I will just say GLP-1, because glucagon-like peptide-1 agonist is a mouthful. So this class of medication is not brand new. Bieta was first approved back in 2005 for use in people with, type two diabetes. Since then, several other drugs in the class have been approved, including Bidurion, Victoza, Trulicity, Ozempic, and Ribelsis. Ribelsis is the only one in this class, only drug in this class that's a pill. Everything else that I've mentioned is an injectable medication. And most recently, we've added Mounjaro to this list. Although I will say Mounjaro is in a new class by itself. It is a GLP-1 agonist, but it also targets another type of receptor called GIP, or glucose dependent, insulinotropic polypeptide agonist, but we'll call it GIP for short. All of the medication names I have listed so far are the FDA-approved medications for only treating type 2 diabetes, but some of these drug molecules are marketed and FDA-approved for weight loss under alternative brand names. For example, Victoza is marketed under the name Saxenda with an indication for weight loss and Ozempic is marketed under the name Wagovi, also approved for weight loss. Next slide. Let's take a step back for a minute. Historically, diabetes has been treated with medications that can cause weight gain. People with diabetes are already more likely to be overweight compared to people without diabetes. And whether it's lifestyle-induced, genetics, medication-induced, or a combination of all of that, increased body weight can lead to insulin resistance. Increase in weight can perpetuate the progression of type 2 diabetes, which then increases the demand for additional medication use. And this can become a circular problem. More insulin resistance leads to more medications, which leads to increased weight, which leads to more insulin resistance, which leads to even more medications, and so on. Not only that, but also the medications that can cause weight gain can increase non-adherence. People might not want to take a medication to treat diabetes because of the potential side effects of weight gain. Next slide. This brings me back to my magic wand theory. Are these once weekly injectable medications the best option for people with type two diabetes? I certainly think that they can be for many. So of course, medication selection needs to be a shared decision between patients and providers. But let's take a closer look at Monjaro, the newest medication in the class, and the first medication to target both GLP-1 and the GIP receptors. GLP-1 and GIP receptors are located all over the body, in the brain, the gut, pancreas, liver, muscles, etc. And when these receptors are activated, several things happen in the body. When these receptors get activated in the brain, it increases satiety. It makes you think you feel full, which results in a decrease in appetite. When the receptors are activated in the gut, this slows down your digestion. It means you'll feel fuller faster and you'll stay fuller for a longer period of time. When the receptors are activated in the pancreas, it increases your insulin secretion and decreases your glucagon secretion. And glucagon is something that can make your blood sugar rise. So decreasing the secretion of glucagon is a good thing to help lower our blood sugars. And when the receptors get activated in the liver, it reduces our body's production of sugar. And lastly, when these receptors get activated in their muscle, It increases insulin sensitivity, meaning it makes the insulin more effective, makes the insulin better at doing its job. All of these actions put together are called the incretin effect, and ultimately this results in improved blood sugar control and weight loss. I will say one thing on the weight loss, though. The more weight a person has to lose, the more likely they are to lose the weight. So if a person of normal body weight wants to take one of these medications, that's okay. You're not going to wither away to nothing. When Maundrara was first studied, it was in a trial that compared efficacy of Maundrara versus Ozempic for A1C lowering. Maundrara was studied at three different doses, five milligrams, 10 milligrams, and 15 milligrams. Each dose was compared to Ozempic one milligram. The two milligram dose of Ozempic was not yet approved at the time of the study. So that's why the two milligram dose of Ozempic was not included in this data that I'm talking about today. At all three doses, Mounjaro was more effective than Ozempic at lowering the A1C. And the A1C is a lab value that we checked to determine how well blood sugars have been controlled over the previous three months. So Mounjaro did a better job compared to Ozempic at lowering this number and improving blood sugar control. People who took the Ozempic one milligram dose had an average A1C reduction of 1.86% over 40 weeks. Whereas the people who took Manjaro had an average A1C reduction of 2%, 2 2.2% and up to 2.3% at their respective doses. So the highest dose, the 15 milligrams of Manjaro had the A1C lowering of about on average 2.3%. Next slide. Not only was Mount found to be more effective than Ozempic for A1C lowering, but it was also more effective for weight loss. People who took Ozempic one milligram weekly lost an average of 5.7 kilograms over the course of 40 weeks, which is about 12 and a half pounds over 40 weeks. People who took Mount lost about 7.6 kilograms on the five milligram dose. They lost 9.3 kilograms on average. Kilograms or 24 and a half pounds on Maundraro 15 milligrams a week. That's pretty significant. Next slide. So let's take a look at the Surmount trials. The Surmount trial is a 72 week trial that was done with Jaro at the, the doses of five, 10 and 15 milligrams compared to a placebo, but this surmount trial evaluated the effects of Mounjaro on weight loss in people without diabetes. So this trial is looking at weight loss only in people that don't have a diagnosis of diabetes. At baseline, the people in this study had an average body weight of 104.8 kilograms and an average BMI of 38. At the end of this 72-week study, People who received the placebo drug lost an average of 2.4 kilograms. But the people who took Mount five milligrams lost an average of 16 kilograms over the course of the study. The people who took the 10 milligram dose of Mount lost an average of 21 kilograms. And the people who took the 15 milligram dose of Mount lost an average of 22 and a half kilograms, which is about a 21% drop And their body weight over the course of 72 weeks. The bottom line with all of this data is that these are powerful medications that act on several mechanisms in the body to lower blood sugar and reduce weight among other things. So do I have you convinced yet these drugs are the magic wand? Well, if all of this data is not enough, I do want to mention that these The most recently updated 2023 AACE and ADA guidelines recommend starting first with GLP-1 medications in people with diabetes and those that have a history of cardiovascular disease or those that are high risk for developing cardiovascular disease or those people that have chronic kidney disease. So I will note, that actually another class of medication, the SGLT2 inhibitors, these are medications like Jardiance and Farcega, the SGLT2 inhibitors are recommended first for people with chronic kidney disease. But if someone is already on an SGLT2 inhibitor, or if they can't tolerate an SGLT2 inhibitor, they should be on a GLP-1 agonist to help preserve kidney function. So why is all of this important? Why do we care? Well, cardiovascular disease is the leading cause of death in people with type two diabetes. So when the appropriate medications are used, the risk of cardiovascular disease and death from cardiovascular causes can be greatly reduced. For completeness, I do want to mention that evidence-based guidelines recommend that GLP-1 agonists also be considered as first-line medications for the management of diabetes for people that are also overweight. People that have a high risk of hypoglycemia, which would be low blood sugars, and for people that have severe hyperglycemia or really high blood sugars. I want to briefly circle back to some of the other medications in the GLP-1 class that I talked about that are FDA approved exclusively for weight loss. These medications are Wagovi and Saxenda. So these medications are rarely covered by insurance and are quite expensive without insurance coverage. As a result, people, even people without diabetes have started using Ozempic, Trulicity and Manjaro off-label for weight loss. This has caused an unpredictable surge in demand for these diabetes medications over the past year. The manufacturers have been hit with high demand in combination with supply chain shortages which have unfortunately accumulated into significant drug shortages for the diabetes community. This can be frustrating for patients and providers, but luckily many of these shortages have resolved. Next slide. Ozempic and Trulicity have no doses on shortage at this time. So I looked this up earlier this week. Ozempic and Trulicity on the FDA website are not in short supply right now. Manjaro, however, is on intermittent back order until sometime in July at its higher doses. So the higher doses of 10, 12.5, and 15 milligrams of jar are currently on intermittent backorder. My advice, if you or someone that you know are affected by these shortages, is to call around to local pharmacies and check to see if they currently have the medication in stock. There's no better way to get the up-to-date information when you're due for a refill than by calling around. When the manufacturer is able to make the drug, when they're able to produce Mount Jaro at these higher doses, they ship it out immediately. So that's why the current status is deemed intermittent. I know it can be frustrating, it could be hard to call around and time consuming to call all your pharmacies to figure out who can fill your prescription each month, but I'm hopeful that these shortages will continue to improve over time and access to these life-saving medications will easily become readily available in the near future. All right, so next up, we're switching from the type 2 diabetes magic wand to what I consider the magical potion for type 1 diabetes. I would be remiss today if I didn't share the latest and greatest in therapy, teplizumab. Teplizumab was approved last November for people ages 8 and older to delay the onset of type 1 diabetes. So I do want to call out, this is to delay the onset of type 1 diabetes. This is not actually a treatment for people who are already in stage three, type one, the full swing, full diagnosis of type one diabetes. Teplizumab is to delay the onset. It's a humanized anti-CD3 monoclonal antibody developed by Prevention Bio, and it has a pretty unique niche in therapy, and it's the first of its kind. This medication is a one-time 14-day infusion used in people that are diagnosed with stage two type one diabetes. And I'll go over the stages in a minute so we can tell the difference between stage one, stage two and stage three. But teplizumab is approved to prevent the progression from stage two into stage three type one diabetes. When it was studied compared to placebo, teplizumab resulted in a delay of stage three onset by about 32 and a half months. So that's almost a three year delay to diagnosis compared to others. So people who have an immediate family member of type one diabetes are about 15 times more likely to develop type one diabetes. Current clinical guidelines recommend people with a first degree relative with type one diabetes. So that would be like a parent, a sibling or a child. They recommend that these people get screened to see if they have antibodies that would eventually lead to a diagnosis of type one diabetes. If a person is screened for type one diabetes and has two or more auto antibodies present, but they have normal blood sugar levels and no symptoms, then they're considered stage one. So stage one people with are diagnosed if they have two or more auto antibodies, but normal blood sugar levels, and no symptoms of diabetes. If a person has two or more antibodies plus abnormal blood sugar levels, but still little or no symptoms, those are the people that fall into class or stage two, and that's where teplizumab comes into play. So people that have two or more autoantibodies plus abnormal sugars, but still no symptoms, those are teplizumab candidates. So about 85% of people with type 1 diabetes, though, are people with no known family history of diabetes. And this is why it's hard to figure out who and when do we screen for these autoantibodies? Who and when do we choose to test to see if they have autoantibodies that might lead to a diagnosis of type 1 diabetes one day? So screening for these autoantibodies has historically been pretty controversial in part because there was no way to intervene or change the course of the disease, even if we knew that the person was at risk for developing type one diabetes, but this has changed with teplizumab. Those who advocate for screening highlight the significantly lower rates of diabetic ketoacidosis at diagnosis and earlier recognition of the disease of type one diabetes. So ultimately screening results in a safer and less expensive disease course. Right now, the ADA standards of care only recommends screening for first degree family members as a starting point, but the panelists are calling for a wider screening of the general population. And so this is likely going to be challenging given there isn't a lot of urgency around type one diabetes at the moment. It's gonna be challenging to decide how are we going to start screening the general population? but I am excited to see how the approval of teplizumab changes the future of type 1 diabetes testing and treatment. So with that, I am going to turn it over to Diana and Natalie to discuss more of the technology side of things.
2: Great, well, thank you. That was absolutely fantastic. Such a good overview Mm -hmm. of all the different medications and a really, I feel like, easy to understand way. So I'm going to start diving through the different technology options, starting with continuous glucose monitoring. And before I even get into that, I just wanted to make sure you all are aware that There's a lot of choices now with different technologies, and there are certain websites and places that you can go to really learn additional information. And one of those great, great websites is called diabeteswise.org. And this is a site that's a non-industry sponsored, non-branded site where you can answer certain questions about what's important to you, such as the size of your technology, the ease of use, uh, different audio type of features, and really learn even more um, in addition to what we talk about today with everything. So with that, let's dive into CGM. And um, I think now more and more people are familiar with it, but this is measuring interstitial fluid compared to finger sticks, which measure capillary blood glucose. So there's a tiny tiny little sensor that is that stays just under the skin sensing that glucose level and then communicates with some type of receiver or reader to display those readings. And depending on the system, it will update the readings every one to five minutes and record those readings every five to 15 minutes. So if you do the math, that's 288 readings per day compared to finger sticks where it's much more burdensome And you're even at best, you know, someone's checking 10 times a day, which is so much, but that's not 288 readings a day. Why is having more data helpful? As it turns out, there are a lot of different factors that impact glucose readings. So there's actually, Adam Brown from Diatribe describes that there's actually 42 factors. And so, of course, there's things like food, carbohydrates. Pasta, cereal, oatmeal, we expect that is going to cause glucose to rise. But it turns out there's a lot of other factors too. Things like caffeine, a cup of black coffee. For many people, that might actually spike their glucose levels, even without adding any sugar or any cream or anything to it. Other things that can impact our activity. Uh, Sometimes a late walk will cause somebody to drop a lot, and another person a walk has no impact on their glucose or blood sugar levels. So the point of all this is that we are all individuals and the best way to learn is through wearing a CGM and having more of that data. So I truly believe CGM is helpful for everyone, even people with type 2 diabetes that are not on medications or maybe taking less medications. Now, A1C has long been used to assess how blood sugars are running and someone's overall glucose management. And while we still, you'll, you'll likely still have that checked, I want you to just understand that there are certain limitations to A1C. It is based on an average of your glucose levels. And so that golden 7% A1C, which is the target for many, many people, that is an average of 154, meaning we would expect that maybe some of the time you're running a little higher and then other times when like when you're not eating, you're running a little bit lower. The problem with an average, though, is it doesn't give us any information about the percentage of time you're actually in the target range, which we describe as 70 to 180. So you could have a 7% A1C and actually be spending like 20 or more percentage of the time too low in hypoglycemia. Or you could have a 7% A1C and spending all your time in range. And that's really the limitation. We don't know anything about the variability when all we have is an A1C. So CGM will provide us with that information, but also it provides you with real time data. In the moment, you can see what your blood sugar is just by looking at your receiver or in many cases, your smartphone. And you also get that arrow and you get alerts. You can get alerts if it's high, if it's low, if it's starting to trend down so you can take action versus waiting until you get low or get too high. So it can be very helpful for all of those reasons. And with CGM, we tend to focus more on time and range, which we generally expect that to be between 70 and 180. And for most people, we are aiming for 70% or more in that target range. So the good news is we're not even asking for perfection. To have good outcomes and hopefully avoid diabetes, potential complications, If you can reach that 70% or more, generally you're you're doing very, very well. And for those that are actually higher risk that might be more predisposed to just having a lot of lows, we even aim for 50% or more in that target range. So in regards to CGM, we have had some updates over the last year or so. We have several different systems on the market. We have the Freestyle Libre 2 and 3 now. We have Eversense, which is the only implantable CGM, which actually goes into the upper arm and the sensors implanted every six months. And there's an outer transmitter that you can take on and off. And then we have Medtronics Guardian sensor, as well as Dexcom G6, and now the Dexcom G7. So I wanna focus a little bit on what is new. And so I'm gonna go straight to the Dexcom G7. And this is a 10 and a half day wear time, as opposed to the G6, which is 10 days. The warm up has been shortened. With the G6, it was two hours, meaning those first two hours, you don't see any readings but then after the warm-up is when you see them. Now with G7, it's actually just 30 minutes. And in fact, if you start it early before your other sensor has stopped, you'll have no interruption in your readings, which is pretty nice. There are no calibrations required just like with G6. So if there are optional calibrations, meaning if you find that your sensor maybe is not as accurate as you think it should be, you can do an optional calibration. And there's some new alerts with the G7. So we still have our high alerts, our low alerts, there's a predictive low alert, but there's some additional customization. Like if you want to know if your blood sugar is rising quickly, but maybe You only want to know if it's above 200, as opposed to if it's rising quickly at 70, you want it to be rising quickly, right? So you have those additional options with that. And perhaps the best update is there's no longer a separate transmitter piece. The sensor transmitter are all in one. It's completely disposable. So each 10 and a half days, you discard it, you place a new one on There is a sensor code that you enter each time you start a new sensor, but there is no longer a separate transmitter code that you had with the Dexcom G6. There are still many people using the G6 because that's what's compatible with many of our insulin pumps right now. And as a reminder with that system, that transmitter you keep for three months and then you replace it so with the libre i'm i'm going to focus on libre 3 because that's what is newer compared to libre 2 both of these are 14-day wear systems, although a 15-day version has been approved that should be available in the near future. These both have a one-hour warm-up. And the big difference with Libre 3 compared to Libre 2 is that it is truly a real-time CGM, meaning you no longer have to scan to see your glucose levels, which you need to do with the Libre 2 system. However, to start the system, you need to scan. So you do have to scan at least one time. And I I learned that the hard way because recently I had someone who had a phone that had this very thick case and he was not able to scan through the phone. And the problem was he had very severe arthritis. And so that case was very protective of his phone because he would drop it all the time. It needed to be unscrewed to get the case off. And so ultimately we've determined that maybe Uh, This wasn't the best sensor using one such as the Dexcom where you don't have to scan it all in his case ended up being a better option. For most people the scan is not a a big deal. Uh, And then in terms of the insertion. The insertion is just gotten a little bit simpler. You still have to unscrew the cap, but there's one less step with the Libre 3 of having to load it. And the way you insert both the Libre 3 and the Dexcom G7 are pretty similar in that the approved location is the upper arm and you you kind of press it into place. The G7 has one extra step where there's a, a little button on the side of it that you press. It's kind of a safety protective, but they're very similar And what we've seen is that it's just gotten easier and easier to put on CGM and easier to use them over the years. And they've also gotten a lot smaller. So briefly, just wanted to touch on the fact that Medtronic has their Guardian Connect, which is a standalone CGM. And also I put Guardian 3 on here, but recently the Guardian 4 got FDA approved, which is what's used with their Medtronic 780G insulin pump system, which you'll be hearing more about from Natalie in a little bit. And then ever since, so one of the other unique things about this, it it is implantable, but also for those that need frequent MRIs, usually we say you've got to remove your whole sensor, your CGM for an MRI. This, because the sensor is implanted, it's totally okay to keep it in. This system does require calibrations. So Libre has no calibrations at all. um, EverSense requires two in the first three weeks. And then after that, there's one calibration per day for the rest of that six-month period. So I put together a comparison chart and most of these these I've talked about already, but I just wanted you to understand that there's different integrations depending on the sensor. Libre3, and Libre2 recently got approval to work with automated insulin delivery systems. So in the near future, we're gonna likely see integration with, um, for example, the Omnipod pump and with Tandem uh, Control IQ insulin pumps and maybe other new ones that are coming to market. Um, In its current state, the reason it did not have integration before was because of the vitamin C drug interaction doses greater than 500 milligrams per day can actually falsely elevate those sensor readings. And so my advice to people is usually to try to limit taking vitamin C to not more than 500 milligrams per day. Uh, I've learned a lot of people are actually taking vitamin C, so that's an important point to note. But their updated sensors, which should hopefully be available in this fall, which will have the... um, it'll have the vitamin C interaction will not be there anymore. It'll be much less. And also it will have, um, it'll be 15 days instead of 14 days. So stay tuned for that. And then there's just minor differences. All of them are waterproof. I tell my patients showering, bathing, no issue. Um, But there's some minor differences just in terms of the water depth where, for example, Dexcom and the Medtronic Guardian can go down to eight feet. Um, The Libres, they say three feet for 30 minutes. So just some minor differences on the labels and everything. Okay. So the next part that I want to talk about are connected insulin pens. And there's been a lot of growth in this space. And in terms of what, for people that are taking insulin, I think most of them are actually using just traditional insulin pens, which are usually disposable. They hold 300 units of insulin, one and done, you use it. When you use it up, you discard it. Right. And I think a lot of people aren't offered different choices in terms of the landscape. So insulin pumps, Traditionally, we've been offering them to people with type 1 diabetes, although it turns out for those on type with type 2 diabetes that are using mealtime insulin, insulin pumps can also be great options. There's also things called basic patch pumps, which are essentially wearable insulin devices. Those include things like Secure Simplicity and the Vigo, where you fill it with a certain amount of insulin, you wear it. And then you can give yourself boluses, like mealtime insulin, uh, just by doing a little click. So it makes it a little bit easier to deliver insulin. And then now we also have what's called smart insulin pens. And what a smart insulin pen does is it takes some of that technology that we have with insulin pumps where it can recommend a dose to take. It can actually track that dose and it works with an insulin pump, with an insulin pen. So these are traditionally, they're reusable devices. They're either a pen cap that goes on a disposable pen Or they're actually the pen itself, which you put in insulin cartridges. And these allow data to actually be shared with the clinic, much the same way that we can share CGM data or that we can share insulin pump data. This is a growing field. So currently, we really have three options that are available in the United States, and that includes the Medtronic in pen. That also includes the Bigfoot Unity that works with Libre 2. And it includes now Lily's Smart Tempo button, which can pair with different glucose meters as well as the Dexcom data. So real briefly, InPen has been around the longest. And this is actually a pen that is reusable for one year. It doesn't need any charging or anything like that. It works specifically with the InPen app. And then it can connect with either Medtronic's Guardian sensor or with the Dexcom G6 or now with Dexcom G7. It works specifically with mealtime insulin and the cartridges, which includes Humalog, Novolog, or Fiasp. And then it can deliver as little as 0.5 unit increments. And it does some additional things like it can monitor the insulin temperature when the insulin is going to expire. And you can set different dose calculators. So for example, if you wanna do carbohydrate counting, you can program that with different carbohydrate ratios. But I find many people like mealtime estimates where you might put in there, okay, what's a small, medium, or large meal? And you can set that for breakfast, lunch, dinner, and snack. Now, Bigfoot Unity Smart Pen System has two pen caps, one for long-acting insulin and one for mealtime insulin. So the white is for mealtime. The black one is for long-acting. And with the white one for the mealtime insulin, what you do is you actually scan the Libre 2 sensor. And when you scan it, it will tell you what your current blood sugar is as well as the direction it's going. And then if you're going to be um, eating or correcting, you press the button on there and it will recommend how much to take based on the programmed settings, which you can set generally for like a small, medium, or large meal or small, medium, larger carbohydrate content. And both this as well as the uh in pen can keep track of active insulin time, meaning if you want to correct a high glucose level, but you recently took insulin, it's not going to recommend additional insulin. Or in the case of NPEN, pen it will recommend some, but it'll be less. It'll be a safer amount to take. And then our latest approved one uh, is the Lily Tempo Smart Button. This has a really nice mobile app that goes with it called the Lily Tempo System. And one of the neat things about this mobile app is you can actually take pictures of food and it will estimate how many carbohydrates are in that food. So it's pretty neat. Um, Now, at the current time, the button goes on very specific Lily pens, which uh they're specifically the lily tempo pens so not the traditional quick pen you need a different prescription for these specific pens. They are disposable pens. They're just a different type that communicate with that actual smart button. And every time you give a dose with the buttons attached to it, it tracks that dose. And then there's a whole data management system where it's on there. It links with the Dexcom data, and it also can link with things like Apple Health. So it includes like activity data, step data, all the different things like that. In the future, it's going to have a bolus calculator, which I think is really that that's like the ultimate what we want with a smart pen where a person can put in their carbohydrates or the type of meal and it will recommend how much to take, including their glucose level and everything. We're just waiting for that to get through the FDA. So in its current form, it's just tracking the doses right now. And it does have to work with those lily insulins like Basaglar, Humalog or lumjev and in just an example of a dose calculator is just, um, for example, in the case of inpen, you can either do set doses, you can do meal estimates, or you can do straight carbohydrate counting to really customize based on someone's current level and what they're actually doing. And so with that, now I'm gonna turn it over to Natalie to talk about insulin pumps.
4: Okay. Why don't I move there and you? Yeah, Yeah, sure. Okay. We have a little bit of a shift here because we're in the same room together, which yeah. is different than usual. Usually we're at different places at the same time and now we're together because we're in San Diego at, at the American Diabetes Association meeting. So today we're going to talk a little bit about traditional, we're going to talk about pump therapy. Last year we reviewed what a traditional pump was and it provides a basal, a background dose of insulin and then insulin when you eat, and then insulin to correct. Um, and, and it's all the same rapid acting insulin that is put into the pump. So that's a traditional insulin pump. We're not using very many of those anymore because there are other pumps available. The first group of pumps I'm going to talk about, though, are called patch pumps. A patch pump is put on, there are two that we use in the United States. Uh, we use the Secure Simplicity, which is a bolus only patch pump. So, people that use bolus only patch pumps need to take basal insulin background, and then the patch pump delivers um, two unit increment doses. That can you can count the clicks, um, and then um, deliver two units at a time when you're eating. This makes a lot of sense to people who don't like who don't need advanced pumps number one and who need to take two unit dose increments so you might take 10 at breakfast and uh 12 at lunch and then most of us who eat the biggest meal of the day is dinner Um, and then whatever that number would be at dinner right Um, you may be 14 or 16 even right and maybe even 20 when you go out and that's what secure simplicity um, allows the vigo insulin pump is a 24-hour basal bolus patch pump what that means is it's giving some background insulin, right? And then each button press is is um, is two units um, at meals, right? And that that is changed every twenty four hours. And again, you can count the clicks, um, and that is changed every day versus the secure simplicity, which is changed every three days. So now let's talk a little bit about smart pumps. Smart pumps. Use a are integrated with a continuous glucose monitor that that Diana talked about earlier in this. There are several now on the market um, that are new this year. We have Omnipod, which offers the dash as well as um, the Omnipod Five. We have T Slim, which offers two versions: Basal IQ and Control IQ. We have the Seven Seventy and Seven Eighty from Medtronic, and we have a new pump on the market this year called Beta Bionics. So I'm um, the Omnipod Dash, we're using less and less of, and the reason is because what the Omnipod Dash does is it has that CGM in, in it, but it doesn't talk and adjust the same way as the Omnipod 5. So the Omnipod 5 is a hybrid closed-loop system that's approved for ages 6 and above, and you can set a glucose target as low as 110 and, and as high as 150. The basal rates are adaptive, which means that it's looking at what's happening and then adjust from there. There is a smart bolus calculator that uses the G6 and it looks at both the value of that number as well as what direction the arrow, your, your glucose is changing. So it will adjust based on, let's say, your, your 180 and going up versus 180 and going down. It will change the recommended dose based on the speed and direction of your arrows. So, what can you adjust? The carb ratio, how much insulin you get at any given time, and the recommended dose. Um, so if it's recommending a dose, you as the person with diabetes can say, but it doesn't know I'm going to go for a run next or go for a long walk next. So it might say, take eight units or 8.5 units. And you can say, nope, I'm going to back it down a little bit. You can actually, there is a simulator app, both on Android and Apple, um, that you can try and it holds 200 units. The T-Slim X2. So the T-Slim has two options. Um a basal IQ as well as control IQ. We're gonna focus on control IQ because that's what we're using the most of right now. It's an advanced hybrid closed loop system and it adjusts based on the program settings. It auto-corrects up to every once an hour and it's calculated at 60% of the program uh, the programmed correction factor with a target of 110 typically, right? Um, User must still bolus for carbs and additional correction doses. So what this does in the background, while you're not paying attention, it looks at where you're going and adds, corrects, but also can increase and decrease basals to reduce low glucose events, as well as high glucose events. Okay. Um, the, and it's approved for ages six and up. And works with Dexcom. So there are different targets to the control IQ system. Um, You can, and, and when it doses higher and lower, right? There are a couple of things that you should know. There is sleep activity. And what that does is it targets a little bit tighter range of 112 to 120. You can use activity, which will then increase your target to 140 to 160. And why do we do that? Well, when you exercise of those of you who take insulin, what happens? You tend to drop, right? Um, so we can actually set the target higher so that you, that less insulin is given, um, during that time. And then it suspends when the glucose is, is predicted to drop below 70 during contro- regular active uh, control IQ or sleep activity and exercise. It suspends a little earlier. It decreases the basal at 140. It's saying already you're gotten, you're going low. You're going to drop, Right or, and it suspends completely at a a number of 80 when it predicts it's gonna drop below 80. So the Medtronic 780G is a new hybrid closed loop with automatic correction boluses every five minutes. We can adjust the targets to 100, 110, or 120. The optimal target is 100 with an action time of two hours. Increased time in closed loop compared to 770G. So the older Medtronic versus the newer Medtronic, it is much improved in in that increased time. Um, It doesn't kick you out like it used to. We are thrilled with this new product. It has been available in other countries for several years. So we have seen the results in other countries and we love it. There is Bluetooth connectivity with remote software updates. There is a CareLink app for data sharing and viewing so that I, as a person, a clinician can see someone's data, um, which makes our, our lives as clinicians better, but your life as a person with diabetes better because you can, you know, send a message to your provider and say, can you look at my data? Right. Um, the T slim, the T connect app does the same thing with the tandem, right? It uploads automatically and that makes it really nice. The medtronic 780g comes with batteries and a 300 unit reservoir where the t slim comes as a is a rechargeable pump and holds 300 units and the guardian sensor sensor 4 is uh, non-adject there there is no calibrations anymore with the 780g right so that was the biggest issue with the 770g there were lots of calibrations still With the guardian sensor, we don't need to do that. And it also comes with a really exciting seven day infusion set. What an infusion set is, is that's the part that goes under your skin to deliver this insulin, right? Um, It's inserted, all infusion sets are similar where it's inserted with a needle, the needle comes out and a catheter is left. There are still, we still do sometimes use a stainless steel infusion set, right? That is not the seven day infusion wear. and there's a new sensor coming, which from um, from Medtronic that is um, disposable, completely disposable. With that is 50 percent smaller the Simplera, and we're expecting that later this year. We don't have a date on that. Um, you, you do all hopefully understand that when things are still in development and there is no FDA approval, we, we, as you, we can't, the, the company can't tell us when they expect it, but they can say, we're looking, we've a lot, we've submitted it to FDA and we know usually within six months they get a decision. Um, so we know that it's, that it's been submitted, but we don't know when exactly it will F, be FDA approved. And my screen has frozen. Oh, there we go. And now let's talk about the final insulin uh, pump. The newest one on the market um, is Beta Bionics Islet. So Beta Bionics Islet is a hybrid closed loop insulin pump. It holds 160 units of insulin and it is programmed simply by entering your body weight. No other insulin pump settings. So what happens with a Beta Bionics Islet insulin pump is you enter meal estimates small, medium, or large meal. So, and it, based on your weight alone, talking to the Dexcom G6 sensor, it it then programs in and, and does the rest of it for you. Um, we're looking forward to this. Um, you The targets are 110, 120, 130. So there is a target you can say, usual, more aggressive or less aggressive targeting. Um, but this is for... Um, this, this is, this is a new system on the market and we've talked to them a lot about this. Um, their study was an interesting study for FDA approval. They allowed people with A1Cs as high as 14% into their trial where most companies have said, we don't want them. We don't want someone with too low of an A1C or too high of an A1C. We're looking for something in between and beta biomics has gone out of their way to include these, a wider span of, of people. They also um, have a dual hormone insulin pump in clinical trials right now with both insulin and glucagon. And why would we put glucagon in a pump? Well, no matter what, there are always times where people might take too much insulin, right? Even with a beta bionics pump, if I told the pump I was having a large meal and then didn't eat, right? If I told um, a, a Medtronic pump or a Omnipod pump or a Tandem pump. I was eating 90 grams of carbohydrate and only ate 20 grams. I could have a severe low glucose from that. You could do the same thing with an insulin pen, right? Um, you can always take too much insulin. And what Beta Bionics is saying is, we could do that, but we could give glucagon to protect you from lows, and you wouldn't have to treat it in the same way. That's what this is about, um, and that's what a dual hormone insulin pump. Um, does or will do. And there have been clinical trials around this, you know, in the, when we just had the glucagon kit, which was the red kit, that wasn't stable when you mixed it, right? Now we have stable glucagon. And I think there are progress, um, we'll now, because we have stable glucagon, we are going to see some progress in the future for that. We also have tidepool loop. So tidepool loop is actually an, an, an app right? And it has been FDA approved. Um, you can set t- tighter correction ranges, as low targeting as 87 and as high as 180. You can actually tell the app what kind of food you're eating. And on the app itself, you can you can say this food acts more like a lollipop, right? Rapid carbs right away. You can say it acts more like taco, where that's like a little bit of fat, a little bit of carb, and some protein. Or pizza, which is a a, a more long-acting, higher-fat uh, meal, the ex- in, insulin action is actually fixed for for um, how long you do, how long um, that insulin is absorbed into your body. Um, and commercialization plans um, have not been finalized yet, right? So we don't know who, which pumps we're going to be able to use this for. So this is. Um, the Apple watch compatibility, you can bolus from your, your watch. So what they now need is a partner that will allow them to, to, you know, use the, their insulin pump, their, their to, to talk, to use this app on your phone, right? Where have you seen this before? Is that group that are called loopers and loopers, um, have hacked into a couple of different, the, the, um, Omnipod dash as well as the old Aeros pods and um, an older Medtronics to use. And then they bolus from those older pumps using this app on their phone. So there are mobile apps for the respective systems. There are a lot of, um, uh, how do we download this? How do I get it into my hands as a clinician to help you as the person with diabetes manage together, right? So on this screen is a list of them. Um, Gluco. We have Clarity for Dexcom. We have LibreView for Libre. We have CareLink for Medtronic Tidepool, which downloads uh, uh, several different things. We have Eversense for the Eversense CGM. We have InPen Insights. We have Bigfoot Unity, and we have the Tempo button. Um, and we at our clinic use them all because what we want is our, the people that have diabetes in front of us to have access to any system um, that, that is available right? Because not all systems fit all people. So there are simulation apps, right? To to test some of these out. Um, There's the MiniMed 770 virtual pump, and you can use that. There's a tandem simulator. There's an Omnipod simulator. um, And that's what, you know, you can go in and play on a smartphone or on a smart device, um, like a, an iPad if you, if you need a bigger screen so that you can, um, can, can play with some of this. So what are our key takeaways? What works for a person with diabetes today may not be right for you tomorrow. Right? Why is that? Because things are changing so quickly. You might have been started on Trulicity um, a handful of years ago, and now you might decide that it's time to switch to Manjaro or Ozempic, right? Um, and how do we find out about those? Diatribe is an organization, diatribe.org, beyond type 1.org, beyond type 2.org can help keep people with diabetes up to date. This is a lot of information, isn't it? So, Um, And and our question to you is, what are you excited about? What are you looking forward to? So we're gonna open this up for questions.
0: Yeah, this is uh, Tom. I'm going to, as facilitator, open it up and I'm gonna ask the first question ladies, but wow, what a plethora and um, uh, incredible information. So thank you for being so thorough. Um, As you all know, based on our discussions in the past, one of the biggest challenges our community faces is the accessibility of all these devices. Um, that's a that's a it's a huge hurdle for us because uh, either we don't have access to current technology and are basically relegated to using uh, what I call um, um, you know our old what's the word I'm looking for um, antiquated uh, technology because it seems to be more accessible, which is obviously not the best way to deal with uh, managing your diabetes. So I wanted to let everyone in the audience know that um, this past Monday, not Tuesday, um, ACB Diabex in Action presented three resolutions. All three were adopted by our membership. Uh, the first one was um, uh, access to uh, um, exercise equipment and non-visual access to medical devices such as insulin pumps, pens, uh, glucose meters, uh, continuous glucose monitors. Um, that's a piece of legislation that's currently making its way through Congress, but there's a lot of support for that. Uh, some of the um, pharmaceuticals have been proactive in in addressing the need for accessibility, but that continues to be a real hurdle for us. And mm-hmm. I know most of the people on this call can d- deal with that. Uh, the second resolution dealt with uh, having Medicare coverage insulin needles. You might laugh, but when you were talking about you know insulin pens and all that, a lot of times the needles aren't covered uh, by insurance, and that causes our community to have a lot of problems because you can't uh, afford to pay for your needles that you use with insulin pens, you can't deliver insulin properly. So that's another barrier, but the, the second resolution addresses that issue. And the third resolution, which in my mind um, is of equal, if not more importance than all of them, is that we have four bills in Congress right now, all addressing, um, the, the cost of insulin. So we are all advocating for lowering the cost of mm-hmm. insulin. Um, and I'm not going to give you the bill names because I can't remember them all, but there are four out there. So we really think that in the, on the legislative front that um, Congress is going to take action to um, help bring the cost of insulin down to a more affordable uh, level, uh, either $35. Well, they passed. Medicare currently covers mm-hmm. uh, insulin at $35 a month. copay and some of the legislation wants to lower that to 25 and make sure that it covers everybody on insurance not just those on medicare so i wanted the audience to know that we've got three major pieces of three major resolutions out there that have all been adopted by acb um so ladies and gentlemen you know roll up your sleeves here because we're going to get to work to um get these uh resolutions adopted and implemented uh by our legislators by our pharmaceutical companies and all the people that uh, have a, 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 a place in this space. So, um, so I don't know. I don't want to spend a lot of time on the accessibility issue because it's it continues to be a challenge. But um, I, I, I did want to say that ACB Diabex in action is part of a coalition with the National Federation of the Blind and uh, the Canadian National Institute for the Blind in Canada. All the major blindness consumer organizations in North America are, are collaborating on an accessible insulin task force, which is capably led by Veronica Elzey, who's one of my personal friends and colleagues. So we are addressing this. We have signed a non disclosures with all the major pump companies. So we're at the table with um, um, with Insuit and um, Tandem and Medtronic. So we are working very hard to uh, get these devices that can really truly be life-changing and managing your diabetes and making your life easier uh, to make sure that anyone who is blind or low vision can use them. So um, I want an audience to know that. So with that, Travis, um, I open up the floor to Q&A. So could we, people, raise your hand. You heard in the Chanel's uh, overview of how to raise your hand to ask a question. So I'm going to ask our host, Travis, to call on hands as he sees the order.
2: And I just wanted to say thank you for all your advocacy that you're doing to help people um, to have increased access to new devices and technologies. And I would just encourage people, sometimes you just really have to advocate for yourself Mm -hmm. because it's a constantly changing landscape based on advocacy efforts. And we are fortunately seeing all of the companies trying to offer programs to make the devices more affordable, more accessible. And so sometimes it requires additional things like your healthcare team needs to do prior authorizations or, you know, submit the specific documentation explaining why this will be a device that will really help you, but it, it's definitely worthwhile to do those things. And then hopefully you'll be able to access the latest and greatest
0: devices. Yeah, I, 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 agree, I agree with you. And I think, you know, historically, Um, Veronica and I were probably one of the initial only totally blind two people that were on an insulin pump way back in the 90s and um, so today my my opinion and I think people share this opinion is that technology is no longer the barrier but attitudes at these companies that blind people can do it just as well as anybody else if we're given an accessible solution and as an example that tandem introduced you know uh, being able to deliver a bolus in their app. That that to me is a huge step forward for those of us that live with diabetes and vision loss. Um so that's just one small example. But so they're getting they're getting the message and um you know I'm 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 confident hopefully in my lifetime we'll 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 get over this this hurdle. <laughs> so and, Travis, and are there any hands raised? Yes yeah, I've got I, about I, 10 I would minutes. Add,
4: I would add one other thing too. If you're with a clinician and you don't feel supported then you need to find another clinician, right? You need to, you definitely need to advocate for yourself. There are people who are very open to, to taking care of people who have low or no vision, right? And that's, you have to find those people and through your community, through your, make sure you're with someone that's willing to do, to take the extra step to help you. Don't sit tight. Don't sit tight.
0: True enough. Travis.
1: All right. got about 10 minutes so veronica you're first speaking of veronica
5: (laughs) hi Uh, everybody (laughs) um yeah i'm i'm an omnipod user but i started in 1991 um my issue is that some some of us who are longtime pump users are starting to get complaints from our body about having had cannulas in there for so long and in the early days they didn't um have all these nice little ones that they have now. So some of us got pretty beat up. So I've got an endocrinologist saying, well, you just may be done, but I want some of the benefits. And so I wish somebody would look at cannulas. And so any comments on that? Or if I'm really stuck, I want to know what you guys think of a Freza.
3: I'll, I'll let you take We that. love a frezza
5: yes. We
4: love Fresa with pumping even, right? It's off-label use, but we, you know, we, what if you wore your tandem and you used, you are using an, uh, I'm sorry, an Omnipod 5? Um,
5: I'm still using the classic because okay. I, was a, I was an iPhone user and I didn't want to learn an Android phone, but I know right. people who are successfully using the 5.
4: Right. So, so you could absolutely do, do mealtime insulin with a Frezza and use the Omnipod in the background. You could also, um, you know, it is off-label use of putting those pods anywhere that you have real estate, right? So, you know, if you talk to Omnipod directly, they're going to say, put it on the back of your arm, put it on, you know, but you, what about your thighs? What about your back of your hips? What about, you know, what, what, what on-label and off-label uses where it was FDA tested and approved, but that doesn't mean that you can't go someplace else um, and find fresh real estate.
2: And I just want to add, yeah, exactly with the Fresa. So inhaled insulin is a great option that a lot of people just don't know about. They haven't been offered. And so this can work very, very well. The one thing I'll say is that with some systems, like for example, with Omnipod 5, the way the algorithm works, it works on total daily insulin. So if you're giving a bunch of insulin outside of the pump, it may cause the pump to be less aggressive. Versus other systems, like if you were using a tandem control IQ, that system could handle it just beautifully. In the case of, like, if you're just using an Omnipod Dash or the original, the Eros, then that is fine because it's yep. a manual pump anyway. So right. there's a lot of different strategies that, that can work well for people.
0: All right, next question, Travis.
1: Next, we have an area code uh, 919 ending in 735. I
4: have a friend who is diabetic but not on insulin. Would the CGM pumps, oh, pumps? I'm sorry, <laughs> so the CGM devices help that person or is it just for people on insulin?
2: So I think we're CGM can help any person with diabetes and there's a lot of learning to be had just by seeing how different foods impact them and, um, different activities, how exercise impacts them. So there's a lot of learning that can occur. The, the thing to be aware of is just insurance coverage and stuff. So recently Medicare changed and expanded their insurance coverage. We're now it'll cover for anyone any type of insulin or even a drug like a sulfonylurea that could cause sugars to go too low, but there's not universal coverage for people that are maybe not on any medications or on medications that don't cause any low blood sugars. That being said, There is something called professional CGM, where someone can wear it on a short-term basis, like for 10 or 14 days, and do this like twice a year to still get the learning experience. And also sensors, CGM has gone down in price a lot. So for example, those with commercial insurance, it's um, they can get a Libre for $75 a month. Um, And sometimes there's other deals on GoodRx. So some people will say, well, I find it really valuable. I'm going to pay that. And they may not even wear it all the time. Maybe they'll wear one sensor a month or one every couple months, but it still gives them a taste of CGM to really have that learning. So yes, I think there's tons of benefits for people, even not on medications. It's just a matter of kind of like cost and coverage and how frequent they should wear it. And then we also have that side of Medicaid. Each state has different requirements.
4: Um, You know, so in Ohio, where Diana and I both practice, and Beth, and Beth, right, (laughs) and Beth, yeah, Yeah. Um, who's in Cleveland now for us, holding down the fort, right? Um, (laughs) You know, Medicaid covers for anyone with diabetes. So you know, it's state to state dependent, though. So what really needs to happen is is the the person has to look into their own insurance coverage. It really is that the variety is across the board, different everywhere.
0: All right, next question, Travis.
1: Next is Jane Perry.
4: Yes, my name is Jane Perry, and thank you for this seminar. I am a type 2 diabetic, but I also have a syndrome of my eye disease resulting in diabetes called Bardet-Beetle syndrome. My question is to the lady who talked about the medications. I have friends that are in a study that are on Insipri that is used for weight loss. Have you heard about that
3: medication? If so, is there any implications for people who have diabetes? Thank you. Hi, this is Beth. Yes, I'm the one who did the medication talk. I have not heard of in Zipri, Um Diana or Natalie, have either of you heard of that medication? No, we're trying to figure out what
2: that... Um... Cause we're, we're aware of all the FDA approved medications for weight loss. So we're trying to figure out if that stands for something else. Yeah. Um, do I, you know the generic name or do you know what, um, how do you spell it? Yeah.
0: Do we do this. Um, well, we can, uh, we can send that to you ladies. Uh, yep. I think you can send it to us
2: afterwards. And I just wanted to comment, um, or maybe Beth, I'll let you comment about, I know there's been some concerns about like the GLP ones and like retinopathy and stuff. If you just want to comment briefly on that.
3: Certainly. Yeah. So eye disease is a concern for people with diabetes. Um, And some of these once weekly medications when they were being studied were shown to increase risk or progression of retinopathy. Um, So it is something to talk about with your providers when you're talking about starting new therapies um, or if you get a new diagnosis from your eye doctor, definitely bring it up. Um, some of it is thought to be retinopathy comes from the rapid reduction in blood sugar lowering um, because these medications are so effective for the treatment of diabetes. What can happen is just over the course of a, a few weeks to a few months, blood sugar changes very quickly, and it can affect the blood flow to the eye. And the eye is subject to changes in in blood flow because the the arteries and veins that go to the eye are teeny tiny. And so when the blood sugar concentrations change, then the delivery of oxygen and nutrients to the eyes can change too. So that is one concern. Just kind of circling it all back is that people with active retinopathy um, do need to use caution if starting one of these once weekly medications for for diabetes or for weight loss, um, because it could progress the retinopathy. Um, it's something to monitor with your, your eye doctor and, and your endocrinology providers as well. Um, Tom,
1: we are out of
0: time. Yep. Yeah, we're getting close to the top or the end of the pr- presentation here. So, uh, anybody that has any other questions, um, please email them to our ACBDAORG at gmail.com email address real quickly. Um, July 5th, we'll be ra- rounding out our ACB Diabetes in Action Convention programming. So join us on July 5th for three subsequent uh, sessions that we'll be having during actual in-person convention. Um, so I thank you all for being here. I thank Diana and Beth and Natalie, and Travis. I want to close by asking you to give out the uh, the code for uh, continuing education credit, please.
1: All right. I'll say that I'll, I will repeat it twice. Five digit code. <clears throat> Two five five eight four. Hold on a minute, in case somebody's scrambling for something to write with. Two five five eight four. Thank you, sure. terrific.
0: Thank you, Travis, and thank you again, uh, Diana, Natalie, and Beth. What a fabulous presentation! I wish we could have had another two hours to talk about all these great things. But thank you all for being here today, and I look forward to seeing you some some of you hopefully on July fifth for the rounding out of the rest of our program. In the meantime, you guys have a great convention and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Great.
2: Thanks for having
1: us. Take care. Thank Thank you. you. Bye-bye.